working. And so I remember when we actually would pick him up at the plant and he was a, a foreman at a steel mill, mom would actually get out of the driver's side. I would actually get into the back seat. She would get into the passenger side and dad would get in. And when dad got in, uh, he smelled terrible. You know, he smelled just like the, the smells of the city. And so I kind of would hold my nose, you know, the whole way home, you know, recognizing that this was not an uncomfortable experience. But I was always still happy to see that, even when he smelled the way that he smelled. And I, I think of my father in that light um, because I, I started to recognize the hard work that he was doing. And he was working, you know, tremendous hours and and he was providing for his family in a way that only he could provide. And, and as he worked those hard hours, I learned my own self what it actually meant uh, to be a person who actually works hard and, and a person who actually provides for their family. And I, I bring that into a, a conversation in the context uh, to where we are going today in scripture, because I am asking myself, you know, during this time, who is God? And what is his responsibility? Uh, because, you know, when I think of my father, he wasn't just a steel worker who actually worked in the mill, but his true occupation was a provider. And his true occupation was an individual who actually worked hard so that his family could have something and so that he could actually have something for himself. So he was willing to endure the smells of the city. You know, he was willing to endure the smells of the plant. You know, when he would get home, he would go immediately to bed and just rest for a couple days because he would work maybe uh, two day shifts or three day shifts and he was exhausted. But he was willing to put all the hard work in because he was serving a greater purpose. And so today I wanted to remind us as we think about Jesus Christ, that he too has an occupation that is serving a greater purpose than what we could have ever traditionally imagined. And we see that really through this passage of scripture in John chapter 18, verse 33 uh, through 40, because you know, our, our, our context is going to give us an understanding of what Jesus Christ was doing, um, who he really was, and why his identity was not understood by other people. I'm not going to read all the passages to us first, but I'm going to go immediately into scripture by looking at verse 33, because verse 33 in John um, chapter 18 begins to tell us that Pilate had entered the headquarters again with Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And now we know primarily the story of Jesus Christ, but I want to remind us of the story itself, you know, while we're having a conversation here today. You know, Jesus Christ has come into the world and he's come into the baby in the manger and he's done miracles. He's done great things. He's actually taught about God on a level that people have never uh, experienced or seen, so much so that all of the people of the land, not just the Jews, were actually recognizing that God actually wanted to be connected to them. And as Jesus Christ began to grow in fame, and as he began to grow in renown, uh, there were a group of people who actually didn't like the growth that he was actually experiencing. And as he didn't, they didn't like this growth that he was experiencing, they tried to take him down. You know, and eventually they recognized that he was going to uh, replace them as the leader of the religious world and possibly even the political world. And so Jesus Christ became a threat to society. And, and this threat to society allowed him to consistently uh, be threatened in life. And many times that he was actually uh, tried to be put to death 
And eventually it gets to a place where his, his threats on his life become real. Uh, he has a couple of disciples that are around him consistently. One of them betrays him and said that, okay, you guys have been looking for him for so long. You know, now I'm going to actually help you at that time. You know, there were, he was fearing so much threat on his life that his closest disciples, he asked them to come and pray with him and support him during his time. And they weren't able to recognize the situation at hand. Uh, and eventually he, we know the story that Jesus Christ is arrested. He is falsely charged. He is betrayed by those he thought uh, he was coming to seek and save. And eventually he is beaten. He is sentenced to the crucifix, crucifixion. And he walks the long death onto Calvary. And as he gets to Calvary, we know that he is put on a cross. His hands are stretched out. His feet are actually nailed uh, with anchors. His hands are nailed with anchors. And he is, he is experiencing the most excruciating death that man has ever experienced. And as you think about his story, you know, what I wanted to also recognize in his story of his purposes and his purposes can really be found in verse 33 that I, that I want to share with you in a, in a new enlightened way. Because all of this starts with people misunderstanding who Jesus is, and, and maybe sometimes we misunderstand him as well. So that's why I get to verse 33 in our passage of scripture, where Jesus says, uh, in response, as a question from Pilate, who asked him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus Christ begins to answer him in verse 44, 34. Do you say this of your own accord or do others say this about you? So Jesus Christ is not a luxurious king. He's not a person who sits on the throne uh, with uh, individuals who are looking at him as regal royalty. Instead, he is possibly a king, as Pilate is asking. And Jesus Christ wants to go a little bit deeper, asking him a question. Why do you really want to know? You know, is there something in you that actually knows who I am? Or are you asking because people actually had a conversation to you about me? And I want to pause there for a second for us because uh, you and I have an opportunity to know Jesus Christ in a way that not other people know Jesus Christ. And I make that a point because you can really only know Jesus Christ on a personal level. You know, there's no book, there's no conversation of us trying to communicate who Jesus Christ is where you really understand him in your life. You know, it's the same way in relationships. The person who really, really knows me more than anyone else is the one who's actually sitting next to me. You know, it's because of the fact that we have a personal relationship with each other that expands upon what you can see in my biography, what you can see in my resume, what you can see in my history, what you can read about from me or even hear in a conversation. It all comes through personal relationships. So Jesus Christ is asking Pilate a very, very good question. You know, he's asking them, do you recognize that I am truly a king because you have a personal relationship with me? Or are you recognizing that I'm a king because people have talked about me? And so I ask us that question because when Jesus Christ comes as a king in our life, he doesn't come as a king that we would expect. He actually comes as a king, what I would call um, in the line of a Davidic king. And if you guys remember the story of David, David in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, uh, was picked and chosen by God while he himself was a shepherd out in the field. You know, the prophet Samuel came one day and, 
and looked for a king and said that it would actually come from Jesse's family. And so they lined up all the brothers. And when they lined up all the brothers, and he went by one by one of them and even looked at the man who had the great stature and beautiful looks. And he looked like a king, but he wasn't the king that God had chosen. And so Samuel asked another question. He says, do you have more brothers? Because God has sent me to anoint a son in your family. And as they looked, they said, well, we have one more, but he's the one that's just taking care of the sheep. And as he's taking care of the sheep, you know, God is actually saying that that is the one, not the one of stature, not the one who is of renown, but the one who actually shall be my king. And why does he choose David? He chooses David because David had the heart to actually care for people. David had the heart of the one who would actually look and actually seek to do what actually God was actually wanting to do uh, as a leader and as a ruler. That brings us back to correctly to Jesus Christ. He doesn't look like a royal king. In fact, if I was to turn to Isaiah chapter 53 and read a couple verses, you know, the verses tell us that Jesus Christ himself would had no form or majesty that should be esteemed on him. So he didn't look like a great king because he was in a type of king that actually is a, is a shepherd king. You know, he's a king that actually cares for people. And so when you think about Jesus Christ during this Resurrection Sunday, what I encourage you to think about is that Jesus Christ who has an occupation that is much greater than you and I could ever imagine any king would have. You know, I'm still reminded of the thoughts of my father when I am talking about Jesus Christ in his manner because my father, by title, had a man as a steel worker. But in my heart, he was a provider who actually worked hard so that I could have things that I could ever, never imagine. I could live in a house that I could enjoy. I could have food on the table that was provided for me. I could have an education and an opportunity to go to college and, and experience things because of his hard work. But his hard work could only be uh, understood if you saw from a bigger perspective. And so Jesus Christ should be understood from a bigger perspective. His occupation is what I would call the occupation of a savior. In verse 35, Pilate starts to get uh, offended by the question of Jesus Christ. And he, and he asks him, am I a Jew? But your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you over to me. And he asks him a question, what have you done? And that's, that's our question, you know, in, in, in light of, of a situation you know, oftentimes with Jesus Christ, what has he done in your life? What has he done to help you and I to understand that he is the most significant reality that we actually need to experience on an everyday basis? You know, what has he done, you know, in your life? And in the context of the Jews, they're asking, you know, what has he done that actually allowed them to not really recognize who he was and what he should be in their life? And so Jesus Christ begins to answer this question, in which I want to slow down and, and draw and speak to us in a significant way. Verse 36, Jesus Christ says that my kingdom is not of this world. For if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. And when you read that scripture, Jesus Christ is telling you and I that his kingdom is broader than the earthly mechanisms that we see on an everyday basis. And so what that means to you and I is think about this. Um, when you think about how problems are solved on this earth, uh, we solve problems even in this pandemic by trusting in 
the government or trusting in the advice of the health workers and recognizing that they are the ones that maybe have the power to actually solve this pandemic. You know, when you and I recognize our own realities of actually trying to solve life, you know, maybe we understand that where I want to achieve a life, it includes me actually getting the education that I need, uh, getting the job that I want, um, trying to figure out who's the right person for me to actually live with, to live happily ever after. You know, and oftentimes what I would say, you know, to our perspective of life is that God always, God always has a perspective that is bigger than ours. You know, his, he, I love to re, be reminded of myself and to remind you that God tells us that his ways are bigger than our ways. His thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. And we have to be reminded of that consistently. And he's telling us and he's telling Pilate in verse 36 of John chapter 18 that my kingdom is not of this world. And so if you and I are trying to understand why was Jesus Christ betrayed, why was he uh, beaten and scourged? Because they did not understand that his ways to be a king were far above the ways of humankind reality. And the ways that Jesus Christ is actually speaking to us today is far away and above the reality of what this pandemic stands for, because this pandemic is just a small piece of the puzzle of what God is communicating to this world. But I get to that back in a, in a couple seconds. Because Pilate's saying to him, okay, you've explained that you have a kingdom. You've explained the fact that, that it is different from this earthly experience. But now the question becomes to you and I, how do we tap into God's kingdom? You know, how do we actually recognize what is different from, from the ways that the earth operates versus the way that God operates? What I want to share with us is that for the last uh, few months, we've had great conversations on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we have those great conversations on the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that you and I could recognize by reading the Sermon on the Mount and having those discussions is that God looks at things in a completely different perspective than you and I could ever imagine life to be. You know, when we talked about relationships, we understood that, that God didn't look at relationships from the way that you and I would, would view relationships. We, we are people who, who are based on our own lusts and our own desires and the things that we want. But God is actually saying to you and I that I don't look at things from a different perspective. I look at things from understanding that I've called relationships for a purpose. You know, I've, I've called people to actually engage with me in a way that I can only give you a perspective. When you and I have had conversations about money, we've understood that you and I typically make money based on our pocketbooks and based on what's good for me. Well, God actually tried to tell us in the Sermon on the Mount that I wanted you to see a whole different perspective. I want you to make sure that your skills and, and the relationships that you have with money are first about honoring me and the priorities that I have for your life. And we looked at our emotions. We looked at anger. and We looked at the identity that God doesn't call us to actually live life that responds based on an emotional anger inside of us. But he tells us to contemplate in our heart, to, to rest and understand that I will fight the battle for you, that you don't have to fight itself. All those ideas that I'm giving, and those are just three, but God has so many different ideas that gives us an understanding that he provides with us an upside down reality, you know, a reality that is different than how you would actually typically see life 
engaged in. And I wanted to share with us this Easter message from this perspective because I wanted to give us some kind of hope that we stand with beyond the greatest message that we'll ever hear, which is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides eternal life for us. Now, you know, that that is the heart of the Sunday message. That is the heart of recognizing Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus Christ went to the cross and when he rose from the dead, he proved that he was greater and mightier than all circumstances of life. And while we understand that context, the next idea is to recognize that as his occupation of a savior, it actually proves to you and I that he's also king of this world at the same time. And as he's king of this world at the same time, he is proving that his truth is greater than any truth that you could ever imagine. Because the world was upset at this point. And, and here's where I get excited. Because in three days, the world thought that they had defeated Jesus Christ. You know, for three days, he was actually in, buried in a grave. You know, his, his opponents, you know, the Jews and the government thought that they had finally gotten rid of the one who was causing them so much harm and so much danger upon their life. And so for three days, he sat in this tomb. They even had security guards, you know, around him, making sure that the prophecies about him would not come true. You know, they did all these things to, to try to quell his truth because his truth was the fact that nothing can actually hold me down. You know, his truth was that in three days, you know, you will bury me and I will rise again to show you that I am greater than, than any single situation, any single circumstances, any single thought in life that you could imagine. And so he sat there for three days just waiting, you know, waiting for the opportunity to prove how true he was, waiting for the opportunity to express his reality in life. And as he has proved who he, he truly is, you know, what he has next done is enabled us to recognize his truth from a perspective of what you and I need to understand today. And that his truth is that his truth is greater than our truth. And I want to slow down and, and, and say this to us. Because oftentimes when I have conversations and when you and I have conversations with others, we live in, in a, in a postmodern reality that allows us to say that my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and whatever you believe is what you believe, and it's all gravy with me. What God is saying to you and I in verses 37 and 38 is that he was born for the purpose of communicating and sharing with us that his truth was the greatest truth of all truths. And our truth must be revolving around our life on his truth and not our own truth. And so there are opportunities and circumstances that we are living in today where I pray and I hope that God is actually getting our attention, that God is actually enabling us to see that, you know, over three days, you know, when I was sitting in the grave, when people's truth about them being able to take me down, believe, allow them to believe that they were right. But on the third day on Sunday morning, my truth now became real. My truth became the reality that there was nothing greater than what I than what there was nothing great about what they said versus my own truth. And that truth should enable us to understand that, you know, sometimes we've got to question how we live life. 
You know, we've got to question ourselves to a point and understand that have I truly recognized that my life revolves around the truth of Jesus Christ? Because when he rose from the dead, he conquered any other circumstance and perspective of what was really real. And he's trying to tell you and I that I am the greatest voice that you will ever hear in your life. And so I want to slow down for us and and talk about his truth, you know, from a different perspective. Pilate in verse 38 says, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside and Jews said to him, I found no one guilty. You know, on Resurrection Sunday, you know, we are reminded again that for all of eternity, Jesus Christ has defeated death. For all of eternity, Jesus Christ has defeated sin. And there comes a place in our time where we will go before the judgment seat of God and he's going to ask us an important question. He's going to ask us, tell me about your truth. You know, tell me about all the things that you have believed in your life and whether or not they still still hold truth when you stand before me. Because it'll give us a pause and be able to recognize that God says that every idle tongue, every word that you speak, every action that you actually live through will be measured, not on your truth, but be measured on my truth. And so God is giving us a wake up call on this Sunday morning to be able to recognize that when you stand before the judgment seat of God and he asks you the question, what is your truth? What will be your answer? You know, what will be the answer of your life over these days when you've recognized that I've lived in in relationships where I've handled money and I've handled my skill and I've I've made priorities of life that were different than what God's truth actually was trying to reveal for me. And so when you and I understand that Jesus Christ is saying that he is a king, he is a king from a whole different reality than you and I could ever think about. And he's calling us on this Resurrection Sunday to make life about him in a way that we probably haven't represented. And so the last truth that I want to share with us, you know, is found in Matthew chapter 28. The truth actually begins to start by this idea of a a woman you know, whose name was Mary, coming and looking for the body of Jesus Christ. And as she looks for the body of Jesus Christ, you know, there are angels that are coming to her, you know, trying to give her an understanding of what is about to happen. And in verses five and six, uh, the angel says to the woman who was Mary, uh, Magdalene, uh, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he has said. Come see the place where he lay. My question to you is, what do those words mean to you today? You know, do those words give you an understanding that God is powerful and greater and truthful than any situation of the world? Does it give you an an hope and an expectation, not only for your eternal life, but how you actually live the course of your life today? Because when I read those words that come, see the place where he lay, it helps me to understand that what he said was true will forever be true in every situation of my life. And it gives me a pause to recognize that I've got to do serious work to recognize that am I living my life based on his truth? Am I living my life in a way that not only is he's my savior, that I recognize that truth, but he's got a truth for me in every single area of my life. And he's going to call me to the rug at one day and he's going to ask me about my truth. And I'm going to stand in judgment about every single perspective. And so today, when we think about the risen Savior, 
Yes, believe in him as the one who died for your sins. Recognize that that sin that you had in your life has now been put to death by the one who actually raised from the dead. And as he raised from the dead, he is giving us a new hope that I did this hard work just as my father did hard work for me so that I can be ushered into a new reality of life. And that is the whole key to Sunday morning is that God is ushering us into a whole reality of life. He's not calling us to be people who are abandoned, people who live in the same sin life patterns that we actually used to live, with the same mindsets that we used to live, with the same ways of struggle that we used to live. But if there's a savior in this world who actually rises from the dead so that you and I can actually believe in him for every situation, recognize today that he will rise us from the places of where we live just as he rose from the dead. So I'm calling us today on Sunday to a season and to a day of resurrection. I am calling us to a thought life of resurrection. I am calling us to no longer live in our sin, but actually be resurrected from that as well. I'm calling us to recognize that wherever we have lack in our life, to be resurrected from a situation where God will actually resurrect us. And that's what Sunday morning means. It is resurrection, not only in a future hope of a reality of what God, but also a present reality for every single circumstance in our life today. Will you resurrect with me? You know, will you enable yourself to actually see God in a perspective, in a way of life that has never been seen before? And when you do that, you know, let us recognize how true God is in our life. Let our relationships be resurrected. You know, let all things that God is trying to do allow us to find hope in him in a new and precious way. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah.